Good morning, everybody. It's so cool to be here. We've visited here a few times, and we live literally just behind the school. Um, But it's really cool to be here to speak to you this morning. And yeah, there's lots of familiar faces. Hi, everyone who I know. (laughs) And those who I don't know, I'm Rachel. I'm married to Stanley. And we just love the vineyard. Um, We feel like we found our home. We feel like we found our people. Isn't that a great thing when you find where you fit? in the kingdom, and um, we love Matt and Jacinda, they're super cool, and what an exciting weekend for you guys as a church, hey, seeing your two pastors get married. Those of you who have been around here for a while must have found that so cool, I was thinking, like, watching that relationship, like, you know, oh, oh, and then, oh, they're dating, and then, oh, it must have been really awesome, so what a special day, and I hear there were some tears, Matt, as you walked her down the aisle. (laughs) Who's, wa- who's walked their daughter down the aisle? Did you cry? Did you, did, yeah, it's pretty hard not to. I actually burst into tears right before I stepped into the church, and my dad was like, stop it! I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I get it. <laughs> so you guys have started a series on Luke last week, and I'm excited to speak on Luke this morning. It is one of my favorite books, mainly because it has one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and that's what I'm going to speak on this morning, the three stories about the lost things in Luke 15. Um, has anyone ever been terribly lost? No? Oh, you're all amazing. Yes? Jackie? Do you know, there's not many men's hands up. <laughs> Oh, look, there's one over there. (laughs) When I was 12, my parents and I travelled to London, and we were in the underground waiting for a train to pull in. And I don't know if you've ever been to London before, but there's just thousands of people waiting for trains. Like, a little Kiwi 12-year-old from New Zealand had never kind of seen this amount of people. And as the train pulled in, the crowd surged forward, and in the process, I lost hold of my mum's hand, and I lost sight of my parents completely. And I was reasonably vertically challenged. As a 12-year-old, I still am, so I couldn't see them. And I, I got pushed up towards the train, and I was standing in front of the doors, and I had a split-second decision to make. That's my hair, eh? No. I had a split-second decision to make. Do I get on the train, not knowing if they'd gotten on or if they'd stayed off, or do I stay off? And I decided to stay off. I saw the doors close. I saw the train pull out, and as it pulled out, I saw my parents in the carriage frantically looking for me as it disappeared through the tunnel. And I screamed and ran. Of course, I couldn't run far, but I ran after the train, and I just stood on this platform in the middle of London. It was completely deserted. It went from thousands of people to to literally me and a man in a dark corner with a brown paper bag. I was just like, I felt terribly alone and terribly lost. But I was thinking about it, and even though that is imprinted on my brain, do you know what's even more imprinted on my brain? Is the joy of being found. Seeing my parents running down those stairs, and it had taken them a long time to get back, and me just running into their arms, you know, that sense of being found, that sense of safety and security. I'm back where I belong. I'm not alone anymore. And these parables I'm talking about this morning, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, they are about being lost, but they are so much more about being found. 
the joy of God when we are found and our joy when we are found because they're parallels, aren't they? They're symbols of God finding us. And um, Jesus spends a lot of time in Luke talking about the kingdom of God. He's playing with people's minds. He's playing with the Pharisees' minds. He's playing with the scribes and the teachers of the law's minds. He talks a lot. He does a lot of things that are so countercultural. And in these three parables in Luke, he's talking about the extravagant love of God which would have maybe perhaps been an unusual concept because he was talking about the intimate love of God for each individual, the intimate pursuit of Jesus, not just a general love for a group of people. So we are going to start with the lost sheep. And if you have a Bible or a Bible app and you'd like to turn to Luke 15, then you can. Oh, look, there's our sheep. He's up. Starting in verse 4, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. So one day a shepherd counts his sheep and he's dismayed to find that he's only got 99 instead of 100. You know, we live in New Zealand, we know about sheep, right? We still have the most sheep per capita of the world in our nation. It's a pretty good, like, cool thing to have over our country, isn't it? You know, I just picture, when I think about this, I picture the sheep munching away, head down, on the grass, looking at the grass, it's all I want, I just want the grass, I just want the grass, I just want the grass. One day looks up and realises He's munched his way away from his shepherd. He's munched his way away from community. And I think it's really interesting because sheep have a tendency to wander away like that. And we often are compared to sheep in the Bible. I think about that with, you know, sometimes in our lives, just the pressures of family, just the pressures of finance, the pressures perhaps of a relationship, of corporate world, you know, we can, we can just get so focused and distracted that sometime we can just look up and go, I never meant to end up here. You might look at your relationship with God and go, where did that intimacy go that I used to have? Or you might think, how did I even get to this place? That's how I picture the sheep in this story. And I love Jesus' response. In one translation, he says, Wouldn't you therefore go out after the lost one until you find it? But what's the real answer to that question? What's the answer if Jesus wasn't asking it? You know, if you had 99 sheep, and back in this day, you were leaving them to the wolves, you were leaving them to potentially wander out. I think you could have gone and got that lost sheep and come back and they'd all disappeared on you. No, do any of you work in cost risk analysis? Like, what is the risk analysis of that? It's not very, it's not good. And, and yet Jesus doesn't say, would you go? He says, wouldn't you? Like, it's so expected. Of course you would. Of course you would go after your one sheep. Well, that's profound, and that plays with our minds because it shows how importantly he views the one. The one is worth searching for and fighting for, and the one is worth a great celebration, you know, when he's found. It's like when you do a puzzle. 
you know, you get to the end and there's a missing piece. It's just not right. It's like our family is not right without that one. That's how precious the one is. You know, that one belongs. That one is meant to be in our family. And I love how there's no condemnation for the sheep. The shepherd does not tell the sheep off. He joyfully picks the sheep up and puts it on his shoulders. Maybe you can identify that with that picture in your life. Maybe there was a time you became distracted or wandered away and you got lost doing your own thing. And you know, because you can remember, how God picked you up and gently carried you home. And perhaps you know some lost sheep today. Perhaps it was a relationship and they wandered off and they're no longer in community. Or perhaps it was work or the business. Perhaps it was a disappointment, something happened, circumstances. And you know, sometimes I think we can see those people with a little bit of judgment and go, well, they should have known better. Or even with a bit of hopelessness, like, oh, they're never going to come back. They've wandered away too far. And I just want to encourage you this morning that we remember how Jesus views that lost sheep. You know, with such compassion and with such an extravagant love of God, and that he is an intimate pursuer of that lost sheep today. The kingdom of God is this intimate pursuit and this extravagant love of God in our lives. So that's the lost sheep, and we're going to move on to the lost coin. You know, I was thinking it's how funny it is that Jesus needed to say this three times. Hmm. But each time it's slightly different. And with the lost coin, I'm going to read it to you from verses 8 to 10. It says, Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. If the sheep was lost from distraction, I see this coin as being lost by mishandling. You know, the sheep wandered away, but the coin was lost by someone. And I'm not saying that it was God who lost the coin, but this reminds me of those people who are lost because of the mishandling of their lives by others. You know, perhaps they just never had an opportunity to know God because they weren't brought up in a Christian home, but perhaps they never believed God could love them because they experienced abandonment or rejection, or maybe they thought God was angry at them because of something that happened. Perhaps they even experienced trauma or abuse and it caused them to feel they were never good enough for God. The coin was lost by someone and the response of the woman is very strange to us because she stops her whole life and then, imagine if you went home this afternoon, went to your neighbour, knocked on the door, hey, I'm having a party tonight, I'd love you to come. Cool, love to come, what, what's the celebration for? I found my $2 coin. You know, come, we're going to have a party. You know, you would, you would be thought as of rather strange. <laughs> what I found was interesting when I researched this story is that scholars really disagree on the value of this coin. 
can actually see the coin up there. You know, some say, oh, you know, it would have only been worth 10 cents and Jesus was saying this by that. Others say, oh, no, it would have been worth 1,500 New Zealand dollars, so of course you would have stopped your life to, to do that. What they do agree with that was that it was, as a woman, having a coin, it would probably have been part of a headdress like this, so something that was given to her as a dowry to wear on her wedding day, so incredibly precious. Do you know what I love about the fact that the scholars disagree? Matt might say I'm worth 10 cents. Jackie might say I'm worth $1,500. It actually doesn't matter what the heck they say about me. It's what Jesus says about my value that matters. And I think that's so cool. Like, maybe Jesus made it so hard for us to know what the value is because it didn't matter what people says the value of this coin was. The value was inherent in the fact that the woman stopped her whole life to search for it. Do you know the other thing about the coin? The coin has the image of a ruler on it. And even when it's lost, that image is still there. The coin has a value, and even when it's lost, it does not lose its value. So no matter whether that coin is lost or found, it never loses the image of God, and it never loses its value. And I just want to encourage you this morning, you know, if you feel like a lost coin, if you feel broken, if you feel hidden in a dark corner and forgotten about, you still have the image of God, you still have the value of God. If there are people in your world that you think, you know, they are lost coins, let's love them with this value and this compassion and this intimate pursuit that God shows. And let's celebrate when those lost coins come, and they come into the house of God and they gain healing. God sets us on a path of healing. You know, I want to remind you today of the intimate pursuit and love of God in your lives and in others' lives. I think sometimes when we've been saved for a long time, we can forget just what God has done for us, hey? So we're going to move on and spend our last moments with the lost son. It's a little different, I believe, from the sheep and the coin. The sheep and the coin didn't know they were lost until they were found. And yet the son, well, he determined to go out and get lost. He determined to walk away from his father. It's often called the parable of the prodigal son. Prodigal meaning wasteful because he wastes his inheritance. He wastes his life away. But I think it should be called the parable of the loving father because so much more about how much the father loves the son than what the, what the son does. And this painting up here, I don't know if you can see it very well, it's a very famous painting by Rembrandt of the prodigal son. It's quite hard to see, but the interesting part is that um, Rembrandt chooses to put the focus on the father, not the son. And um, that's what we're going to do today. So I want you to imagine being the son. And asking your father for your inheritance and seeing the blood drain from his face and the hurt cross his eyes, because to do that is basically saying, I wish you did. I don't want to be under your authority. I don't want to be part of your family. To do that, to ask your father for that, is a huge shaming thing. And yet your father gives it to you because your father is a generous person. You know, you think the grass is greener on the other side. You think it would be much better to be, you know, out having a good time than 
than under your father's authority. So off you go and you spend your money and you find some great friends and you have a great time. And then one day you put your hand in your pocket and the money's gone and you get hungry and you turn to your great friends but they seem to disappear when you're not the one paying for the drinks. And then a famine comes and there were 10 famines in the century you lived and you get hungry and hungrier and hungrier. You could go home, you could never go home. If you as a Jew spend and waste your inheritance in a foreign land and then dare to return home to your village, the village elders can cast you out of the village forever in a ceremony called Ketsatsa where they break a vase in front of you, basically saying you are never allowed back in this place. You can't go home. So you decide to go and work for pigs, feeding the pigs, feeding the pigs. And you find one day that you're staring at the pig's food, wishing you were a pig, just so that you could eat the pig pods. And you realise this is really rock bottom for a Jew, wishing to live like a pig. So you're desperate. You have an idea. You could return to your village and you could ask your father to be a hired hand, not a son, never a son. You've hurt him way too much for that. You know he would never take you back into into his family. Not even a servant. A servant gets to live in the house. No, just a hired hand. Away apart from the family, but at least you'd have enough to eat. And so you decide to return. Now I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the father. Your son has wished you dead. And it's broken your heart. And every day for years, you've waited. You've looked for him. You know if your son ever returns, you have to get there first before the village elders so that he won't be cut off. So every day you wait and you look. You know, by rights you should reject and shame him too. But every day you wait, watching for your beloved son. And one day when your beloved son is a long way off, you see him. You must reach him before your village. And so you run, heart pounding. Middle Eastern men don't run. It is a shameful thing. Middle Eastern men wear robes to the ground and to run means hitching them up, exposing their legs and running. And yet you run. To run will bring you humiliation and shame. But this is your beloved son. And he's in rags and you can almost smell him. And by rights he should be punished and he should fall and kiss your feet. But this is love. And you run to him and you hug him and you kiss him. And he speaks, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But in the face of your love, his prepared speech changes. And he just suddenly has an awareness of his sin and the broken relationship and a sadness at that brokenness of relationship. And so you act. You Put a robe on his finger. You put I mean, a robe on his back. You put a, a ring on his finger. 
sandals on his feet and you throw him a party. You know, the ring and the sandals are signs of sonship. Not a servant, not a hired hand, sonship. The robe says you are part of the family again. The party, a declaration to the whole village that this, he has been welcomed back. He's part of our family again. The father totally wipes the slate clean. And it's a powerful story of God's intimate love and pursuit of us. And I love it because I was a bit of a prodigal daughter and I wanted to come back for a long time, but I never thought I would get this response. I thought I would be a hired hand. I, was, I thought God would not forgive me. I thought he would be angry. How can God take us back when we've hurt him so much? And yet he does. And not as a hired hand, not as a servant, but as a son and a daughter. You know, what I love about the father in this story is that he initiates. You know, the father in Palestine, in Palestine sat in a house and would wait, emotionally withdrawn, for you to come and beg forgiveness. Don't we see God like that sometimes? Oh, I have to crawl on my hands and knees. He's this emotionally withdrawn being, and I have to beg for forgiveness. Please take me back. What does this father do? He runs. As soon, he doesn't even let the son finish his apology before he's, before he's gathered him up, placed his arms around him, and brought him back to the family. You know, perhaps you were a lost son or daughter too, and you can testify to this grace. Or perhaps he's a prodigal in your world today. And I just want to remind you of how much Jesus loves your prodigal, whether your prodigal is a literal son or daughter or family member or a friend, he loves and pursues those people. And the Pharisees would have hated this story because it was so countercultural. And Jesus addresses this with the oldest son. The oldest son becomes angry with the way the younger son is welcomed back. He basically says, I've done everything right. I've never disobeyed you. I've never shamed you. And I've never had a party like this. Why should he get it? Once again, the father shows grace and offers love. My son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and Jesus is saying to us, years of work for God is never your basis for acceptance. It's never your basis for honour. It's never your basis for inclusion in the family. Jesus has done that all for us. And that's Jesus' radical love with the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, and the older son. As we come to a close this morning... I guess I'd just really love us to remember how much we are loved. You know, I don't know whether you identify with being a lost sheep at times, or a lost coin, a lost son or a daughter, or an older son or a daughter. But let's remember how much Jesus loves us and how that intimate pursuit of you, he's chasing after you and he is just wanting to welcome you. And let's think about how much those in our worlds are loved. You might be able to think of a lost coin or sheep or son or daughter right now. 
just let's be encouraged because I know it can be so discouraging when you have those people in your worlds and you don't see a lot of change or you don't see a lot of openness. Let's just be encouraged by how much God loves them out of these three parables. And let's act towards them, therefore not out of a sense of obligation, but out of the revelation of God's love for them. Lord, I just thank you so much for your extravagant love for us. Lord, we just think, we just remember back to before we were close to you and before we knew you. And what you did for us. Jesus, you picked us up. You put us on your shoulders. Jesus, you found us and threw a party. Jesus, you made us your son and your daughter and you welcomed us into your family. A father to the fatherless, God. The orphan finds a family in you, Jesus. And God, we think of those in our worlds, Lord, who are lost and who are broken and who are in dark corners feeling forgotten. We think of those who are out having a good time. And we just pray, Lord, that you would chase them down with your love, that you would pursue them intimately like you did in these stories, God, because your kingdom is a place of extravagant love and forgiveness and mercy and grace. Thank you, God. You know, I'd love to pray um, as we finish. I don't know if the band will come up, but I'd love to pray, firstly, if you know God, but this, this sense of love is just a struggle, either at the moment or always has been, just sensing or knowing God's love. Maybe it's getting from your head to your heart. Maybe you're just feeling disconnected, discouraged. You need a new sense or a greater sense or just another impartation of God's love for you this morning because gosh it's hard to do life without it and secondly if you are one of those people who is praying for a prodigal or is praying or has a prodigal or a coin or a sheep in your life and you would just love someone to stand with you because it can be a lonely road stand with you and support you and lift the burden for a while and we would love to just come alongside you and pray encouragement for you in this journey and of course pray for your precious loved ones so if you if you fall into any of those categories is that how we do it here Matt we come up the front or we sing or we do anything can't we it's a vineyard we do anything so please do I'd love to pray there'll be others and um If you need a sense of God's love this morning or you'd like just someone to stand with you, that would be awesome. So thank you for listening.